Take your Bibles now, Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one, Paul the apostle is writing to the church at Colossae. And as we finished on Friday, Acts chapter 28, the Bible says that Paul the apostle was in Rome. It had taken him a couple years to get there once he began his journey. And once he got to Rome, he was quickly imprisoned. And once he was imprisoned in Rome, he was given freedom. And his friends visited him for two whole years. He dealt there as a prisoner of Caesar. And it's in those two years that he was visited by Epaphras. That Epaphras came from Colossae and said, hey, remember me? I was at the school of Tyrannius there at Ephesus before the, the riot at the temple of Diana. You remember that? Remember that? He's like, oh, I totally remember that. I almost got killed, you know? And, and they started talking. And, and then Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, the book of Colossians, and he gave it to Epaphras and he sent it on his way. Paul had never been to Colossae. He'd only preached the gospel faithfully everywhere that he'd been. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that one time Paul tried to go to the region of Colossae, but the Holy Spirit forbade him. Chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Shut the door. So the Holy Spirit, so, so Paul tried to go a different direction and the Lord shut the door. You ever the Lord shut the door on you? Nobody? Just two people? Okay, just Deb? Just me and Deb? So anyways, and the, just wait. Your, your door's coming shut soon, you know? And, and the, the Holy Spirit shut the door! And the Bible says Paul goes to bed and he receives a, a, a vision, a, a, a dream of a Macedonian man who says, hey, you know what? We'd like the gospel preached where we live. Can you come to Macedonia? Paul wakes up from his dream, shakes his traveling companions, jumps on a boat, goes to Macedonia and begins to preach. And it's a miracle, it's a revival. People get saved. The, the most un, unimaginable people get saved. God knows what he's doing. But the Bible goes on then in another portion of scripture to say that the places that God forbid him to go, Colossae and other regions, listen, Okay, it says that in those places of Asia Minor, all of the word was preached and that the word went to all of Asia. I say that to say this. When God shuts a door, it's not because he, we have all these other reasons, you know, oh man, this, that, and the other. The Lord knows what he's doing in his timing. And the Lord is, is always doing things, good things. He says in Jeremiah 29, I know what the thoughts I have. They're good, they're not evil. They're thoughts of a future and a hope. Now, the people in Babylon were like, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad I read that because it doesn't feel like it right now, you know? Doesn't seem like it right now. And in your situation, wouldn't it be awesome if you were a mom or a dad that just continued to walk that, that road of faith and to believe that? So Paul gets a visitor named Epaphras. He says, hey, there's this church that's banging hard. They love God, they love Jesus, and they love people, and they have hope in heaven, and, and all these things are happening. So Paul says, cool. How'd that, how'd that happen? We, we learned about this last week. Well, because I told him everything he taught me. Really? The principle we went over last week at the beginning of the sermon, I meant to get further, but I didn't, so we're gonna, we're gonna go further today. But the principle was is that without him, you can't, and without you, he won't. Just keep tucking that away. Without him, you can't, man. You can't do anything. With, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, Philippians 4, 13, through Christ I can do what, though? All things. So you're either, gonna be, you're either doing one or the other, nothing or all things. Like, that's kind of like, you know, you're pegged out on either side, that's it. And when you submit yourself to the Lord, he, can, he, he will do through you what only he can do. This is great news, by the way, for those of you who are uh, working jobs right now with other people that are non-believers or rubbing shoulders with people who need Jesus. He will lead you and he will guide you and that's how he's going to go ahead and move his ministry forward. Here's the deal, though. this is uh, gotta be in tandem, not just with the Lord's will and the Lord's way, but it's gotta be uh, in tandem with the Lord's work. And today, you can write this down in your notes if you're a note taker. Um, Paul says this in verse nine, let's read it. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, heard what? Heard about you guys. Well, because we heard that, we don't cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul says, because I heard you guys are doing good, I haven't quit praying for you. 
And prayer, man, prayer is how you grow. Prayer is how you commune with God. Prayer is how, you, how God guides you and leads you. Prayer is how he changes you. And once you stop praying, man, you just stop producing. Have you noticed that to be true? You stop praying for things. And I, and I encouraged you last week about prayer. And I don't know how, how your week went, but I, I prayed a little bit differently this last week. I just did. And I remember it started on Monday because that's right after Sunday and I saw the sermon fresh in my brain, you know. And it was really special. I went outside my house and the sun was shining on my face. And how many guys like this rain? Isn't this rain awesome? Okay, how many guys are over it? I'm over it too. Like, I'm over it. I'm over it. I need summer back. Summer. <laughs> Winter's long enough. And anyways, on, on Monday, the sun was shining. I was out there praying. And, I, and I, I had all these stressors on my life, just stressors, these big things, all like isolated stressors. So here's what I did on Monday. On Monday, I, I shut my Bible after I'd re- read it. <laughs> it works better that way. And I, and I had it this way. And I, and I was outside. And I began to pray uh, over every single issue out loud. I was outside, you know, like a crazy person, like my coffee was too strong or something like that. And, and I'm praying out loud, not super loud, but loud enough where I could hear it and I could stay focused. And then I, and I just prayed in the spirit over every issue. I just prayed in, the, in tongues a little bit, just, just worshiping God and proclaiming how good he is. And I kid you not, by the time I was done, uh, I, I, a couple of issues, I, I grabbed my phone afterwards and a couple a- a prayers had been answered immediately. It was like, it was absolutely insane. I mean, big ones are like, no way. Like they made the top five. I was like, that was crazy, you know? And the Lord continued to answer those. And why was I surprised? Why are we surprised? You know, and when you pray, and I was from, praying from a good position. He says, for this reason, I haven't ceased praying for you. And I want you guys to consider that. Here's a sermon note you could write at the top. These are seven things to pray for your life and the ones you love. We're gonna talk about seven different things that Paul lists here that you can pray for your life and the people that you love. And this is a great teaching on prayer. It's actually, for some of you, maybe myself included, a great rebuke on prayer because all of us need to pray more. And it's not so much a condemnation, but it's a commendation to pray more. And I'm gonna encourage you in this every single day that I hopefully get a chance to more. Let's pray. We, and I just, I want you to start doing this. When I left this morning, the only person up at my house was my daughter, Acacia. She's 10 and she came down the stairs. And, and as I was leaving, I walked over to her and actually was on the way at the door. And I was like, nope, I got to pray with somebody before I leave the house. And so I went over to her and I grabbed her hands. I said, Acacia, let's pray. And, and I prayed and, and we, we prayed for the services and in Jesus name. And as I was leaving again, uh, Nemo came down, my 12 year old. And so I grabbed him and I said, Nemo, pray for me. And he put his arms around me, man, that little hugger. He's a big, big touchy kind of guy. And, and we we're hugging each other and, and he's actually little. And we, we were hugging each other and he prayed for his dad, that I'd be anointed, that the word of God would go out with power, that people would be saved today, and that I would be able to preach the word, and, and, he, and he prayed that prayer, and, and amen. And I, but I'm going to be honest with you. Let's go pastor dad just a little bit. Like, I, I did that on purpose. It wasn't necessarily secondary or reactionary or just who I am. I said, no, I, this is, I have to do this for so many reasons. So they, so they get the experience, so I honor God. I mentioned this before, and I, do you find that I just repeat myself in my sermons all the time? Don't say yes. But anyways, I repeat myself all the time. And, um, and, I, and I used to, I'm, I've been a competitive athlete my whole life, and, and, and warm-ups and stretching was not important to me in, in high school or college. And as I competed, because I, I wanted to save my energy for the battle. And I, was, I just was convinced. And as I've grown, I've realized now that I'm a certified uh, uh, CrossFit trainer and stuff, I realized that, that, that warm-ups and stretching, this you know, half hour before the actual battle, before the performance, they actually improve your performance and they prevent injury. And so, so too, sometimes you wanna, you wanna get right to the battle. You wanna get right to the ob- objective. You wanna get right to the scene. You wanna get right to the task. You wanna, get, you wanna do more than pray, but you can't do anything until after you pray. Spend that time in prayer, and then the next thing you know, you're gonna pick up your phone and look at it, and whoa, well, the prayer just got answered. I thought it got answered. And it's gonna produce power in your life. Seven things to pray for your life and the ones you love. Prayer forces us to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
And it's interesting because when we got saved, were you not humble? Like you were faced with your own immortality and your own sinfulness and you got saved. Maybe you were crying, maybe you were on your knees. You're like, oh my gosh, you know? And then as soon as you get saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, you tend to like forget that, you know, it's, it's still all Jesus and him alone. And what Paul's gonna do masterfully here is he's gonna tell him, them, what he's praying for. And then in verses 14 through verses 19, he's gonna segue into the, the, the primary purpose of this text, which is all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is first, Jesus is last, Jesus is everything. Jesus is preeminent, he's the creator, he's the, he's the most important person in all of history, in all of the past, all the present, all the future, it's all about Jesus. But he wants us to engage in our prayer in the way that we connect with him. So write these things down. Number one, he says in verse nine, let's read it together. It says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you, number one, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Okay, number one, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you would know God's will. I get asked a lot of questions as a pastor. I get sought for counsel for a lot of reasons, and one of the most common reasons is people making decisions wanting to know God's will. Which, by the way, pursuing a pastor or a partner or a friend or accountability buddy and saying, hey, I wanna know God's will, and, and pursuing one another, asking for counsel, that's the way you do it. You ask, hey, would you pray with me? Would you listen with me? See, God loves to guide you. He loves to lead you. And as you ask, Lord, I want to know your will. I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will, and I want to know what to do. And I'm going to give you guys the three primary ways we know God's will. Number one is through God's word, because God's word doesn't change. God's word has been provided for us. God's word has been proven. God's word is powerful. It's alive. It's active. It's living. It's able to discern your thoughts and intention. It's able to do with, for you and with you, and even apart from you, what you can't do for yourself. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, it's like rain and snow. It goes out and does things. And the primary way that you're gonna know God's will is through his word. Let me just ask you that question. Do you know God's word? Are you a woman of God's word? Are you a man of God's word? It's a pretty big book, isn't it? Okay, it's gonna take a lifetime. It's gonna take a lifestyle to be in God's word, spending time in God's word. The Bible actually said that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they received a bread every single morning called manna. What is it? Manna, that's what it meant. I mean, what is it? They woke up like, what is that? You know, what is it? And maybe when you read the Bible too, you're like, what was that? You know, like, what was that? You know, I don't know what that, you ever read the Bible before? You're like, what was that? Yeah, a couple of people. Okay, you gotta make sure you drink your coffee, then read your Bible. Okay, that's the order. Okay, can you get the coffee in first. I'm just kidding. But sometimes like, what is it? And, and they didn't understand what manna was. And there was a, a principle in the, in the wilderness wandering that they had to eat manna, how often? Every day. And they had to gather it how, every, every morning. And they couldn't gather like two days worth on Monday and, and then not gather on Tuesday. Couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, isn't that crazy? Like, come on, God, let's be a little more, you know, let's just think this through. Like if we could just harvest this and get a month's worth, then we don't have to get out there and do this. It's so silly. And he says, no, no, principle, picture, pattern. This is what's going on. I want you to go out and get manna every single day. If you gather more manna than you think you need and, and you're gonna try and use it tomorrow, it's actually gonna rot and it's gonna become nothing and unuseful. And the picture, the pattern, the principle is God wants us to have our daily bread. Jesus would come on thousands of years later. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Speaking of our time with him in the word. One of the things that surprises me and blesses me so much is when I spend time in God's word, kind of maybe as a disciplinary uh, action and I do it and it's what I got, you know, I do it. And then, and then six or seven hours later, I find myself recalling those scriptures that I was musing on. Maybe you're in the Old Testament, you're like this is kind of irrelevant to, you know, what's gonna happen next in my life. I'm just gonna, but I'm just reading it. And then all of a sudden you need that energy and that power. Somebody comes to you, somebody calls, or, or you're finding yourself in a situation. Remember when Jesus Christ himself in, in Matthew chapter four was tempted by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights? Okay, representation of the wandering in the wilderness. 
How did he make him, how did he, how, how was he successful? The Bible says that he quoted scripture. He had manna tucked away. He was ready to rock and roll. All of the verses that Jesus quoted while he was being tested were out of the book of Deuteronomy. So evidently the five by five program was in Deuteronomy at that point, you know, and he was reading through the Old Testament and that was where his devotionals were happening and he was ready to rumble. You wanna know God's will? Okay, number one, read God's word. Number two is know God's voice. This is probably happening here in our church and not everybody does this. Some people just read and shut the book and don't talk to the author who wrote it. But when you listen to God's voice in your heart, when you read his word, and that's how he speaks to you. And did you know you speak back to him by, hit, by responding in prayer? Prayer is a, is a two-way conversation. God speaks to you through his spirit. He speaks to you through prayer. And he speaks to you and you're gonna know his will. And I, I, I would say it this way. You're not going to find out God's will for your life unless you're walking in prayer. And as you pray, God will speak to you. He'll guide you, he'll direct you. James, Jesus' little brother rebuked us and he said, don't buy, don't sell, don't go anywhere. Unless you ask first. Then you should go and buy and sell and do, do all kinds of stuff, as long as it's the Lord's will. Know his word, know his will in his, in his voice, but also number three, how are you gonna know God's will? Is through God's people, not just his word, not just his voice, but his people, spiritual counsel, the community, the body of Christ. This is why we're all here together. And I have people call me all the time and I love calling other people and letting God speak to me through them, through their walk with Jesus, the overflow. And hope you have somebody, the community, somebody you can reach out to, somebody you can just bounce ideas off with. Some of the most confusing and, and still fruitful times I've had with people are when I'm talking with them about what's going on in their lives and we're praying, seeking the Lord. And, and, and I see, and I, I don't really do much, you know? It's just like I kind of come up empty and give some answers. And then at the end, they're like, oh my gosh, I know what to do. I'm like, really? Because I'm still confused about what you should do. You know, I'm like, and, I, and I feel so much better about what I'm gonna do. I was like, really? Because I feel kind of stressed and overwhelmed now, you know? And, oh, you know? And, and it's just, it's, it's that, that obedience and the Lord will speak to you. You have not because you, you didn't ask. Okay, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Isn't it interesting that, that the acronyms of ask, seek, knock are ask? Yeah. Thank you. It's gonna be better in the second service too. People are gonna enjoy that one. <laughs> Notice what he says in verse nine. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. When you're filled, it literally means overflowing enough for you and enough for other people. This isn't just, just enough for you. This is so that way you can be a walking thesaurus of the things of God, a walking dictionary of the ways of God, a walking encyclopedia of the will of God so you can help other people, so you can be that person that's looked to by your kids or grandkids or your spouse and you're filled. This is his prayer. Prayer number one, that you're gonna pray for yourself and for others, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will. And not just that they would know God's will, but that they'd know God's character. Look at what else he says in verse nine not only of his will, but in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You can connect that with the same kind of phrase, but I think Paul put that in there, inspired by the Holy Spirit on purpose. And he literally says with wisdom, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. When, I, when you see the words wisdom and spiritual understanding, Paul and the Holy Spirit are making a distinction between the knowledge of this world and the knowledge of God. Do you guys understand there's a difference? Between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. And he's praying for that church there that they'd be filled not only with God's will, but with the wisdom and nature of God. I'm gonna put it simply this way, that you would be uh, filled with God's character, that you would know his character. God's character is vastly different than this world. It's vastly different than organizations and businesses and even some churches, his, his character. 
and when you know God's will. James, Jesus' little brother, again in chapter three, I'm gonna read it to you. This is what James says about wisdom. Listen to this. I hope you guys have this at least paraphrased or tucked away. James says, but wisdom, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, and gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. The wisdom above, the wisdom from God that we would know, the wisdom and spiritual understanding is different than this world. I say that to say this because the world is so full of knowledge right now. I was doing just a little bit of research this morning about how much, I, I Googled how much knowledge is there in the world, you know, and there was so much I couldn't understand the answer. That's how much knowledge there is in the world. They're using numbers like 256 hexabytes and all these, here's how much, how much data is in the world. And one person said, it's, it's like this, there's enough data that if every person had one star of data, but then also each person had one galaxy of data, every person on the planet had one, one galaxy to them represented by the stars within that galaxy. And there's more galaxies in the universe than there are blades of grass on the planet, that that would be like equivalent how much knowledge there is in the world. Do you guys even understand what I said? Because neither do I. Look, look it up later. It's not even, yeah. There's so much knowledge. And I was reading one time that the amount of data that's computed daily and just compiled with the internet and sources, it's like, it's like filling library after library all day long, new data, new knowledge. And yet check it out. How's our world doing? Oh man, we are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs everywhere. Just because you're super smart with data and facts and figures and the wisdom of this world does not mean you have spiritual understanding or the wisdom of God. It's different. It's different. And what do we need to be filled with? The wisdom of God and spiritual understanding. My kids, most of them, read the Proverbs every single day. Today's the 19th, so they'll read Proverbs 19 and 20 tomorrow. And they read the Proverbs every day. And they do this 12 times per year. They read the entire book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs doesn't have a lot of facts and figures and data. It's the book of wisdom. It's not that they're learning, you know, mathematics and learning certain things and and what what they're learning, what my kids are learning. And what we learn from God is wisdom. Solomon was given the opportunity to lead God's people and God gave him a dream. Within that dream was an opportunity to ask anything he wanted. And he said, you know what I want the most? Wisdom. Well, for so I can lead your people well. It's a big deal. It's a big job. I want wisdom. And God was amazed. And God says, really? You don't want your enemy's heads on a platter? You don't want riches? You don't want strength and power? Well, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give you all those things and wisdom to get there. And Solomon became the wisest man to ever live. So Paul, Paul says, you know what I'm praying for you guys? That you know the will of God. Cool, I wanna know what to do. And that you have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Romans chapter one, Paul gives a rebuke, a report card about the world. He says, you know what the world has done? The world has professed to be wise and they've become fools. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. I, don't, I don't even get this. Every man and woman is made in the image of God. And when you look in the mirror, when you look at each other, when you look at creation, you know there's a God. You look at creation, you know there's a God. You can come up with excuses. You can rationalize. You can get all scientific. Even some Christians are tempted to do this, and I don't know why. Some Christians look at the creation story, and they're like, well, there's a whole lot went down those first couple days, you know. I bet those days represent thousands of years. They just have to. They have to. Why? Well, because a lot happened. A lot went down, and there's just a bunch going on, and it's like, what? God said it and, it and it existed. 
And my simple philosophy is if God can't create the world like he said he created the world, he's probably not God. He's, he's like, you know, he's a craftsman on the help wanted list. Like, I can do some stuff, you know, I can't do everything. I'm pretty limited. God is unlimited. And it's just interesting to me, we, we limit God. Don't we limit God? And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I apologize if I stepped on your toes, you know, get some stronger shoes and, uh, you know, just read the Bible. I limit God too, though. I limit God. I wake up in the morning and things didn't go my way. Oh, no. You know, and the Lord's like, I, I am so strong, bro. I am so strong. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I want to know God in the wisdom and spiritual understanding. Pray that for yourself, that you would know God's will and that you would know God's character. What's God like? Can he handle it? Is he big enough? Is he smart enough? Is he strong enough? And like Solomon, may we be anointed. And here's the deal. Once you know these things, the will of God and the character of God, you know what's going on, okay? Then you got to do number three, pray this, that you're able to do the work of God. Because once you know stuff, okay, now it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the what, <clears throat> And then after that comes the so. It's like the so what. My pastor always used to say at the end of his sermons, he wanted to make sure that he gave a what at the, at, at the end of the so. So what? So what? What's the conclusion? What do I do now? Look at what he says in verse 10. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. There's a couple points in there we're gonna pull out of that. But number one, he says that we would be able to walk with God. And you can write that down, that you do God's work. He's praying that we do God's work, that we'd walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And wisdom, after we gather it and apply it, okay, knowledge is actually wisdom applied or uh, the other way around, and it's what we do after we find out what to do. And he says, I'm praying for you that you would aim worthy and walk worthy of the Lord. I like that word walk. It's the first thing I've circled in verse 10 because it's just a walk. You ever been on a walk before? And walks are pretty enjoyable. Like you can handle it. It's like, you know, I've been on runs before. I've been on sprints. I've been on races. I've done ultra marathons and marathons and half marathons and, and, and duathlons and triathlons, and I've done them all. Going on a walk is super fun. And he says that our, our, our journey with him is a walk. And if you got kids, you know that that walk changes occasionally. You pace it out for the, the weakest one in your bunch. Matter of fact, back to the children of Israel in the wilderness, they went as fast as they could for the littlest feet because God knows you. He loves you. It's a walk. It's a walk, but within that walk, there is work. There's things that God wants for you and I to do. In verse 10, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. I've said this before, and I wanna say it again, that if you live your life for an audience of one, okay, your life's gonna be amazing. Pleasing the Lord, not man. Pleasing the Lord, not yourself. Pleasing the Lord, not others. And your life will be fruitful. Your walk will be fruitful in every good work. Live for an audience of one. Jesus actually summarized the law. He said, the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you do those two things, if you're just loving God, if you're living for God, if you're serving God and you're loving others, you're, you're gonna be pleasing. Everything you do, what about all this other stuff? Hey, back to step one and two. Do those two and all of this will be worked out. So know God's will, know his character and do his work. And let me, let me make sure and just kind of give you a couple of verses here. In John 15, Jesus is on his way to die and he is walking through the vineyard, and he begins to use the vineyard as a teachable moment, and he talks about fruit. He talks about when fruit gets messed up, what it needs to be done, pruned and lifted up and washed off. And, and yet Jesus said in John 15, and also again in John 8, he said, if you abide in me, and me and you, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be fruitful. Okay, so the abiding in him goes back to the first prayer, know God's will and know God's character. 
Don't, don't spaz out with me, but how many of you guys spaz out a little bit about doing the work of God? You're like, oh man, I gotta figure it out. This is gonna be so intense. And man, can you imagine if you went to an apple orchard and all the apple trees were stressed out and trying to produce apples? The, apples, the apple trees just woke up and they're stretching. They're like, oh, oh, guys, we gotta do this right. Okay, you over there, you're totally blowing it. You need to flex harder. And all of a sudden you heard all the apple trees start screaming. Rah! You know, you're like, oh, you know. Number one, if that happens to you, film it, okay, because that's... National Geographic wants that footage. Actually, I love fruit trees. I love standing there looking at them. I just freak out. I trip out. I'm like, what the heck, dude? No way. I know, I know a little bit. I don't know a lot, but I know that this tree's planted in the ground, and there's no, like, Fred Meyer grocer underneath there, you know? And, and somehow there's fruit coming out of this. And where's this fruit coming from? Like, I go to the apple store, and there's apples. Like, yeah, you go to the lettuce store, there's lettuce. And here, it's just growing. How? Because it abides. Roots down, fruits out. It's not, not, it's not magical. It's not even mysterious, it just happens. It's just a mandate. And, and for those of you who are maybe younger and you wanna be real fruitful in the Lord, and you wanna get after it, I get it, I understand. There's miracle grow and there's fast tracks and there's things you're gonna try and get done, you know, and multiplication. You who've been doing this for a while, you know, man, that steady oak grows just abiding with the Lord. And his prayer for the church then is that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. As a matter of fact, doing the work of God is what he wants us to do. And let me just say something too while I'm, while I'm thinking this through because you gotta know God's character and heart. God wants you to do things for him. And here's why, because he loves you and he knows that in doing things for him, it's gonna bless you. I mean, isn't that awesome? Can you imagine if your boss showed up to work tomorrow and had 10 things for you to do and smiled real big and said, this is gonna bless you. You know, you're like, uh, yeah, amongst other things, I'm sure, boss. You know, like, I'm sure it will. Woohoo! You know, and you would see right through that and be like, that's gonna bless a bunch of people. And here's the deal God knows that when you do what He, this is, when you do what He says to do and live the way He wants you to live, okay, there is fruit in life and life everlasting. I'll use the illustration of my kids. I got three kids and, and I have a lot for them to do. I have things for them to do. And, 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 but my whole life, my whole existence right now isn't so I can get anything from them. My whole life and my whole existence, and I'm just a, 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 a flailed human, my whole existence is for them. Every rule I have, every, every objective we have, every rule, all the things we have, everything is, 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 is ultimately geared for them, for their benefit, for their well-being. Sometimes people say, well, God just wants to control my life. You think God has a desire to control your life for his own prerogative? So he can be a control freak, so he can get something out of it? God loves you so much, he says, if you do what I say... <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're gonna have so much fun. We're gonna have so much fun, but if you do, if you, if you eat of this other tree and, and choose poorly, you're gonna have death and disease and chaos and difficulty. When God created the Garden of Eden, he's like, he gave us so much produce and ample provision and love and care and kindness and protection and direction and instruction. He goes, everything we need. And Adam and Eve were like, what about this tree? This tree looks kind of sick and evil, you know? It's like, what? Isn't it nuts? His prayer is that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And if you don't understand God's character, God's will, and God's, God's ways for you, you might be stubborn and say, yeah. Just like Adam and just like Eve in the devil had that conversation. And the devil sowed a seed of doubt and said, are you sure God's good? She's like, well, uh, I was before you said that. Are you sure you shouldn't eat this fruit? What if it has really good stuff involved? I'd never thought about it that way. God told me otherwise, but man, you got me thinking. You got me thinking. Ah! And would we 
Know the truth of God, the heart of God. So when he says abstain from these things and, and, and flee from youthful lust and, and, and come into the light and be exposed, when he says do these things, why would we do that? Oh, that's where life's at. That's where life's at. He wants to bless you. And, and when I give my kids, again, me being a, a, a flawed man, when I give my kids instructions and direction in our house, it truly is for their joy. It truly is for our family's growth. We'd be be happy, have a good time. And when those kids get rebellious, man, nobody's happy. I got a teenager in the house now. I mean, you got to double up your prayer for Pastor Luke, man. It's so far so good, but I can see the horizon. It's changing. It's changing. By the way, he says in verse 10, he says that he wants us to be fruitful in every good work. Let me just help us out here. It, the Bible says if you're faithful in the little, God will put you over much. There is a problem with what we would in the church and Christianity say, this is secular and this is sacred. This is holy and this is normal. And in the holy and the sacred things, we're probably gonna give it our best bet and we're gonna do things a little differently. But sometimes in the little things, just you know, be convicted as the Holy Spirit would lead you. In the little things, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be fully pleasing him. I would just say it this way. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. And that can lead you to a point of repentance right now. And you can be shoddy and slipshod and, and shallow and lazy and you know, weird here. And oh, this is, a, this is a big deal. I'm gonna go ahead and change. You know, I don't think that the change is what you should do is be faithful in the little things and fully pleasing him in every good work. That's a, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that to you from on stage because I'm doing that. I wanna do that. And I wanna grow in that. I'm 43 years old and I found myself even in the last decade doing certain things differently, where I would maybe just let that pass, and the Lord says, hey, you wanna do that right? Well, is it a pass, Lord? He's like, it's not right. Recently, I painted my neighbor's house, and he's from Iran, and so we were negotiating the cost, and, and I gave him a number, and, and he asked for lower, and I said yes. And, and then at the, right midway through, I was painting his house, and, his, and I live right next door, like five doors down, so it was really cool because I could just take my time. It took like six weeks, but don't, don't judge me. And anyways, I was painting his house, and at one point, I, I told him his name's Farhad, and I said, Farhad, I said, what I want you to do is I want you to go around the house, and I want you to uh, show, tell me anything you don't like. Like, you, we fix that, and just little things, you know, and, and he looked at me, and he said, no. He said, I asked you at the beginning, are you going to treat this house like your house? He said, I trust you you'll do the right thing. And he walked into his house and I was like, oh man, you know? And so, and so there's these areas and I remember I was at the very end and I was done. The house was, it was an integral. It was, it, was, it was ready to go, ready for winter. But there were some areas that, you know, that if it were, you know, and the Lord said, what, would you, what are you gonna do, Luke? And I remember the sun had set and, and, and it was time to go home and, and, and there's a couple areas that I just, oh, no one's even gonna notice that except me. And, I, and, I, and so I did it for the Lord. I said, okay. And so I jumped back on the ladder. I took a little, little some paint up there and I was fixing stuff. And, and the Lord met me in that and said, Luke, don't do anything shoddy. Don't do anything silly. Let every work be a worship service. Because isn't it funny? We, we do something, I'm, this is gonna be really, really worshipful and sacred and holy. And this is, I'm just gonna, and maybe again, we need to repent in that. He says that their, his prayer for them is that they would be fully pleasing to him in every good work. Look at what he says in verse 10 at the end. He says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, so far we are praying that we know his will, we know his character, we do his work. And number four, that we are fruitful in every good work. And number 10, that we would grow in the things of God, that we would grow in his knowledge. 
Okay, this isn't just his will, but this is the knowledge of God. This is what we're doing today. This is what those who decided to join in us in the study of Acts uh, did on Monday through Friday, watching those sermons together, taking them in, growing in the knowledge of God. There is more of God to learn than you already know. Can I get an amen for somebody? Okay, there is more revelation. There's more application. There's more, there's more to know than you've already received. And so what I challenge you is don't just keep reading the same books. Don't just keep memorizing and quoting the same scriptures. Don't just keep going to the same conferences, listening to the same songs and talking to the same people. Expand your knowledge of God. Keep going, keep diving in. Read books, study, memorize, ask people questions. Tell people what you know. I, I remember when I was first getting saved, I was studying through the book of Nehemiah and in Nehemiah, there's this you know, building of the walls and in chapter three, they're, they're itemized and one of them is the, the Jeshuron gate, which represents the old gate. And the illustration there is that as soon as you start walking with the Lord, you're gonna have questions that are gonna come up. You're not gonna have answers. Anybody have questions right now that you're just fine with? I'm not, that's kind of a big question. I guess I'll just, you know, lose some sleep over it and find out the answer. Go deeper. A couple weeks ago, James Garrett was recovering from COVID and his COVID was gone. They passed the tests and, and he had pneumonia and it was just wrecking his lungs. And, and, and Mia, his wife said, can you guys come over and just pray for James and just visit with them and, and take communion with them? It was so special. And so we came and got a bunch of communion and brought them some extra communion for after we left because they're super sinful. And um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you know, I'm kidding, you know? And so, so we brought extra communion and oil. I remember, and I, and I ran to my office and I scanned my shelves and I knew he's, he's at home on oxygen. And, he's so, and so I, I found five books that, that I figured he could read through. And one of them was from Miles Stanford and it was on principles of spiritual growth and one was on uh, sticky teams and, and, a, and a, a, a church kind of organizational, how the church stays strong by, by Larry Osborne. And, and one of them was by Chuck Smith, 14 attributes of a man that God uses about being a holy man and being the man that God looks for. And, and one was from uh, Warren Wearsby on, on what it means to be a leader. And one was by Dave Kraft on mistakes that leaders make. And I just remember I took all these books and, and I said, hey man, I know you're gonna be, just read, you know, James is a reader. He's and leaders read, and, and I just, I want to, and I, and I gave those books, and the reason I did is because all those books are special to me. I'll, I'll reread those books throughout the rest of my life. You ever find yourself in a, in a position in your life, like, I just, I just need to be reminded of what I already know, or what I've ignored, what I forgot. He prays for them, fifthly, that they would increase in the knowledge of God, reading books, reading the Bible, scriptures, going forward, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Now, let's, let's go ahead and jump a ditch right now. He prays something else that's crazy. I want you guys to see this. He says in verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Number six, he says he's praying for them to stay strong so they can suffer well. Now, this is more pertinent in 2021 than ever before. Maybe in 2019, this was harder to preach, but think, suffering comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes now. Just life's tough. Don't get me wrong, like I, I still you know, enjoy a pumpkin spice latte and it's like I get a smile on my face, like I love life. But life comes at you fast sometimes. And so Paul prays, he says, you know what I'm praying? That you guys are strengthened with might in his glorious power. What for? So you suffer well. What? I mean, I wanna be strengthened with glorious might, right? To leap over walls, you know, and take giants' heads off their head bodies, you know? And I wanna, and he says, oh, oh, I'm gonna pray that you're so strong so you can suffer well. How many of you guys aren't there yet? How many of you guys aren't suffering well yet? You know, you get in a car wreck, you get the flat tire and you pull out your phone, take a selfie and start singing the song, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice, you know. I'm not there yet, something goes wrong and I'm like, ah! This, and, I, and we laugh, we laugh, but also when it's difficult. And there's a whole uh, 
Theology of Suffering. Johnny Erickson Tata writes a book uh, entitled When God Weeps. And then the subheading is, is Why Your Suffering Matters to the Most High. Johnny Erickson Tata, you know, was 16 or 17 and was an accomplished swimmer and dove into the bottom of a, a lake and broke her neck and was paralyzed, became a quadriplegic. And, and shortly thereafter, her identity had been stripped from her, and so she tried to kill herself multiple times in and, and that suffering and that loss and that depression. And then the Lord eventually met her in that suffering and saved her, and he didn't heal her. She's not healed to this day. She just recently had COVID and fought it, and she has had cancer, and, and she's been married and is married, and, and yet her life is full of suffering. And the things that God has done through her in her suffering, the amount of people that she has reached with Johnny and friends, and she helps those who are underdeveloped and, 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 and have deformities and, and, and suffer in various ways, and she creates platforms for them to be accepted and loved on, the least of these. That would have never happened had she not suffered. She would have been an Olympic swimmer. She would have been a, a, a college swimmer. She would have had her life and, and hopefully produced fruit in other ways. But instead, God said, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt. And, I, and I, I've shared this story before and I'll, I'll share it quickly. I gave that book to a friend of mine three years ago. Her name, I'll keep to myself. And I almost got out. And I gave it to her and this friend was suffering and she was suffering greatly. So bad was this girl suffering that she had contacted uh, Right to Die. And she, was, she knew her life was gonna end shortly. She had a, a condition that was going to kill her. It wasn't a, wasn't a question, it was, it was determined. And so she said, I'm gonna do this, Pastor, would you come pray for me? And, and it was an interesting conversation with her just days before she did indeed take her own life. And I just, I gave her that book. I said, would you read this first? I said, because here's what I want. I don't want you to get to heaven. You're gonna get to heaven by the grace of Jesus, by the stripes we are healed. You're going to heaven. Like, I believe it. You're, she, she had never been married, didn't have kids. Her, she was older, she traveled, she was ready to go home. And so she was pulling the plug. And I, and I, but I, I, I said, I'm not gonna try and change your mind, but I'm gonna try and change your mind because I love you. But I'm not gonna shame you. I'm not gonna shame you because I'm not in your shoes. And here's what I told her though. I said, I said, your suffering matters. I said, every day you sit here in your convalescent state, you can't do anything, you're done, you're, you're suffering. I said, every single day, guess who's watching you? Your savior. He's up in heaven, he's watching you. And he's grabbing the angels. He says, hey, look, look at her. Look at my daughter. She has nothing and her eyes are on me. And day will lead to week, and week will lead to month, and month will lead to a half a year, and she would, she would probably die. We didn't know the timeline, and I, said, I just said, I don't want you to miss out on the, the wealth of heaven. Every single day, you have an opportunity to, to make a deposit in your heavenly account where, listen, where you suffered by faith. See, maybe I'll just put myself in that category. If you're like me, you're, you're maybe young and, and able, bodied and you're, you're doing things and, and you believe that the Lord is pleased in your efforts and, and he is as you live by faith and what you do for the Lord is pleasing to him. What if you're in a position where you're just knocked down? You can't do anything. You're in the, you're in the cave like Elijah. You're on the sidelines. You're, you're doing nothing and the Lord says, hey, guess what, guess what, guess what? In the heavenly realm, okay, you're still a producer and you need to pray for strength that you will suffer well. It's under the Lord. See, we live in a, a, a production mentality where if I can't make Facebook posts and if I can't preach sermons and if I can't go into third worlds and if I can't do things, what's, what's my existence even? And the Lord looks at your suffering. He sees your faith. He sees your heart. He sees your tears. He, the Bible actually says that he writes down every thought you have for him. He keeps a journal every time you think about him. The Bible actually says he catches your tears in a bottle and he keeps them. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I say that to you who are chronically suffering right now. You have a pain that won't go away. 
You have an illness that is going to kill you. You have a situation that can't be, un, that can't be undone. It's, the divorce has happened, the, the separation's there, the loss, the, the, the funeral's already ha- happened, and, and you're sitting here going, what is, what's my life all about? What can I do now? And the Lord says, I see everything. It counts. It counts. This is such great news in a world gone crazy, in a world that will, it, that, that, as a matter of fact, this was the Job, the Job God conflict with Satan, is that Satan said, the only reason Job worships you is because everything's good. Let's go ahead and throw some suffering into the mix and see what Job does. So suffering came harder than anybody could ever imagine, and Job worshiped. His prayer, oh, that we'd be strengthened with glorious power. Whoa, cool, cool. Why is that? For patience and long suffering. And may the Lord apply this to your heart wherever you're at right now. And maybe it's as simple as going to Walmart later today. Man, that's suffering, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just get there. Like, what's it going to be? You're going to drop your coffee and spill it? I was driving home from a, a drop site in, in Seal Rocker earlier this year, and I, yesterday, and two days ago. And I was driving, and I, and I hit traffic and all the rest, and I heard this paint can spill over in the back of my Tahoe, and I just knew there was paint everywhere. I was like, oh, it's cool, 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 cool. It's exactly how I wanted to spend my, the rest of my days cleaning up this paint. And I, I, didn't re, I didn't, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that, but I also didn't spaz. I didn't, I didn't freak out. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's white paint. It'll just rub off, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> Guys, he says two more things. I was going to get further, but the 11 a.m. is coming in hot, but let's, let's look at a few things. He says also, verse 12, not only that we would know his will, know his character, do his work, be fruitful in every, every good work, increase in the knowledge of God and stay strong. Lastly, that we would stay grateful giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I'm praying for you guys. Now, it's either he's praying and I'm giving thanks for you, which I can totally get into, or he's praying that they would remain thankful, which I can totally understand having three kids of my own. He's praying for them that they would always give thanks because they've become inheritance partners. Read verse 12 again. Giving thanks. I'm praying for you. The guys would be grateful to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Guys, never. Paul's in jail when he's saying this. They're under persecution. Things aren't gonna go well for the church at Colossae. It's gonna be difficult. But you know what they have going for them? An inheritance of the Father. And they've been delivered from darkness to light. And that's never gonna change. No matter what, we understand this idea of inheritance. We understand how an inheritance works. Somebody is leaving something for you. Maybe some of you guys have a, a 401k or a, a retirement fund, or you know there's inheritance coming for you. How many guys that, that kind of excites you, kind of comforts you just a little bit? Like, well, I know I'm at, at the end of the day. Whee! You know, here's the deal. Some, not everyone has that. Not everyone here, not this way, but everyone here who's a believer has that eternally. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that was given to us and you're not gonna just be hooked up here if you have something coming for you. You're gonna be hooked up eternally and forever and heavenly and spiritually. Don't ever forget this. And I, I just rejoice at this, even in the, the paint spills and the things and the difficulties. I just, I'm going to heaven when I die. Are you not going to heaven when you die? Man, that, can't be, that train can't be stopped. Jesus saves, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I wanna make sure I have that attitude of gratitude no matter what. And that's a prayer of Paul's for the church of Colossae. It should be the prayer that you pray for yourself and your loved ones. Now check it out. We don't have time to keep going to the rest of the verses that I prepared to teach for you this morning. But here's the thing. I want you to read them on your own because Paul's not gonna tell us how this happens. Lest you think I'm up here just making stuff up and just pumping you up. I wanna read them to you. 
In verse 13, he goes on to now segue into the primary purpose and focus of his letter and his life. He, that's Jesus Christ, has delivered us. How is this all gonna be possible? How do we have an inheritance? How can we suffer? How can we walk in his will and his knowledge and his character? Because he has delivered us. That means rescued from the power of darkness and conveyed us, that word transferred, it's a military term. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. What that term would be used for is when one kingdom would overtake another kingdom, that kingdom would take everything from that kingdom and transfer that wealth into its own kingdom. God says of his son, Jesus Christ, he has overwhelmed you, he has delivered you, he has redeemed you, and now he has taken everything, he's pillaged hell itself and taken souls, set the captives free, and he now has them in his inheritance, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He continues to talk about Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Here's the deal, guys. We are in good hands with Jesus Christ. You need him, I need him, we need him, the world needs him. Paul in prison writes to the church at Colossus and says, hey guys, I want you to know I'm praying for you, but I also want you to know it's a done deal. You have been transferred. You have been delivered. You have been redeemed. Walk in it now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name as we go our way now. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you anoint us? Would you forgive us of our sins? And these seven, seven little, little points of prayer, Lord, would they be powerful in our life? Would we grow, Lord, and know your will? Would we know your character? Lord, would we do your work? Lord, I pray we'd be strengthened to suffer in Jesus' name. I pray we'd grow in the knowledge of God. And, and Lord, I pray that you would fill us and you'd use us and we'd understand that we have an inheritance with God as well, that we'd remain grateful and thankful. I thank you for my friends, Lord, the Sunday school, kids that are coming down the stairs now and all that you're gonna do this week. We love you, Jesus. Bless CR, Lord, as they gather, just so we to be healing and mercy in the youth groups and the young adult groups. And Lord, those who are golfing later today, just uh, keep them safe from lightning and bless them, Lord. And we thank you for all you've done. We give you our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen.